there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before. And it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. We live with little liars that whisper to us all the time about everything that we've ever known, everything that we've ever seen, everything that we've ever heard, everything that we've ever read, every experience we think we've ever had, every memory that we ever have. The little liars are constantly whispering to us about it. My question to you is, how can we trust liars? Yet, we do. We trust them implicitly. Not only do we trust the little liars inside of ourselves, we trust the little liars inside of everyone else. Someone comes and tells us something, and we take it as the absolute truth. And if we don't, then what we do is we get a collection of witnesses. So we'll get five witnesses. And we'll take notes from all five witnesses. Give them all some designation, number designation. This one is 90% truth. This one is 30% truth. This one can be counted on to tell 95% truth. This one, I think, maybe is telling 40% truth. And this one is telling 5% truth. So then you take all that, and you, then you divide it by five. You divide the whole number by five. And then whatever you get, that's the amount of truth that you have. That's how we operate. That's how we believe things. Because we have to believe things in order to act. And the reason we think we have to believe things in order to act is because we don't act. What we do is we think. And what thinking means is we really get into our formatory apparatus in the intellectual center. Yes, no, right, wrong, black, white, hot, cold, left, right, up, down. We get into that. And then we go back and forth. And we call that thinking. We call that back and forth movement thinking. And then wherever we happen, wherever the roulette wheel stops, oh, black 16, you know, then, then, well, that's it. That's the answer. And that's what we call thinking. When you look at that, that's absurd. You might think, uh, how does the world operate? That's exactly it. The world operates. It just happens. Do you really think that the war in Iraq is something that was planned? I mean, do you really think there was a conspiracy and there was a plan? It just happened. Whoa, what about the, this and that? Well, what about it? The smaller the frame that we have, the easier it is to understand something. You get a bigger frame and you start taking in more and more area, more and more time, more and more elements, and it becomes much more difficult to understand. How we operate in life is we constantly shrink our frame so that we can understand. If you want to understand a person, you don't look at that whole person's life. You look at just one small portion of that person's life, what they just said to you. If it made you feel bad, they're a bad person. If it made you feel good, they're a good person, they're your friend. We just make the frame smaller and smaller and smaller because that's what we can deal with. We can deal with little moments, but we can't deal with life. And the reason we can't deal with life is because of this formatory apparatus in our intellectual center going, Left, right, left, right, left, right, click, 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 like a metronome, back and forth. And life is meant to be experienced directly. You're meant to breathe in this moment, have your eyes open and see what's here in this moment. There is so much going on here right now that it would take all of your senses, all operating 100% 
fully connected, properly connected, at the same time for you to take in this whole experience. And then you have your internal world, and you would have to be connected there too. That'll give you an idea how far we are away. We have no idea what's going on. We're in this little frame, this little tiny frame. Instead of being directly connected with the universe, directly connected with life itself, in it, you're in life. When you're breathing in, you're breathing in life. When you're exhaling, you're exhaling life. When you're standing here, you're soaking, your body is soaking in life, light, and it's oozing out life and light. Your, your whole body, every cell in your body is singing in a symphony of life. Do you know that? Well, yes, I, I know that intellectually. <laughs> right, then you don't know that. We accept it as a possibility, but we have no real experience of it. So how do we trust? We just do it. We just, trust is like a label. We slap on things. Okay, I trust you. I don't trust you. I trust you. I don't trust you. It's just a movable label. It's like magnetic refrigerator magnets, you know, the kind that are bendable, you know, the little, they look like paper, sort of. And you can just, then they have the little sayings on them. Well, there's one that says trust, and there's one that says don't trust. And we just take those little magnetic labels, we slap them on people. And we can move them around. Oh, okay, I, I, used to, I used to trust you, but I don't trust you now that you said that. So you get the no trust, and you get the trust. Oh, well, no, you get the no trust, you get the trust. And that's, what we, that's our life. This is what we call living life. Changing labels. That's it. This is, what, this is our function in life. We go around changing labels on people, changing labels on things, and calling that our life. And I say, no, that's not life. That is mechanical reaction to events based on acquired mumbo-jumbo that goes way back. Here's how you can trust a liar. Trust a liar to lie. Everybody has a lying eye, at least one. Everybody has at least one lying eye. What that lying eye does always, all the time, is lie. It never tells the truth because it can't tell the truth. It can only lie, which is what makes it a lying eye. Well, let's find our lying eye and destroy it. No, let's find our lying eye and observe it and find out what it does best, how it does it, what it says, what it looks like, what it touches in moving center, what it makes us do, what it makes our eyes do what it makes our mouth do, what it makes our face look like, what it makes our hand gestures look like, what kind of tension does it generate in our muscles, what is it afraid of, what does it love, what does it think, what makes it do what it does, what triggers it. That's what we need to do with lying eye. Not destroy it, not tuck it away, not hide it, not deny it, but instead see it as if we were looking at an interesting stranger and learn everything we can learn about it because there's a place for it. Well, how could there be a place for a lying eye? Well, remember what, the, what the, 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 supposedly the Bible's wisest man was Solomon, King Solomon. And he said there's a time for everything, every season under heaven. There's a time to pick up stones, a time to cast away stones, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to love, a time to hate, a time to lie, and a time to tell the truth. So if there's a time to lie and you don't have a lying eye, you're going to be in trouble. But if that lying eye is operating all the time, out of season, you're going to be in trouble. Guess where we are? We're in trouble. <laughs> That's right. We're in trouble because our eyes are operating out of season. They're not operating in the season they're supposed to be operating in. They're not operating in the area that they're supposed to be operating in. They're all running wild, doing whatever they want to do. Well, how are we going to get them under control? Well, first we'll have to understand them. First we'll have to recognize them for what they are. First we'll have to learn about them. And that is done through objective, non-identified self-observation. 
which is really a very simple process once you get the hang of it. But before you get the hang of it, oh man, it's like riding a bicycle or swimming. You know, when you know how to do it, oh yeah, anybody can do that. But when you were learning, there was a lot of fear involved with falling off the bicycle and getting hurt or going under the water and drowning. But once you get it done, you feel pretty comfortable with it. We feel and define ourselves by our past. Our past is really nothing more than our memory of it. Your past is your memory of it. I remember one time talking, my, my wife has a brother, an older brother, one sibling. I have a lot of siblings. I'm the oldest in a large family. And Connie is the youngest in a small family, two children. And years ago, after we got married, and, and uh, we were somewhere with her brother and his wife, and Connie and Larry were talking about something, and, and Connie went away, and Larry said to me, you know, I don't understand it. It's like we grew up in different houses. The things that she remembers and the things that I remember are not the same things. Now, I jumped on that. Well, see, she, her memory stinks. His memory's right. But the truth is, is that nobody's memory is right. And what that means, the ramifications of that are rather frightening. If our past is only our memory of it, and if our memory is according to our level of being, and our level of being isn't really so high, and if you think about your current level of being compared to lower levels of being that you've lived in, that's your past. Now, you know today that there's not much that you take in as impressions that you can really trust because they're connected up with old associations. They're connected up with so many things. You don't really know what's going on in the world. You have to focus and use so much energy and force to know what's really happening in this moment. How difficult is it to stay with someone for two minutes while they talk to you without going off on some train of thought that they triggered by something they said? It is, it's one of the most difficult things in the world that we have to do. Now, if a simple thing like that, can't, we can't do a simple thing like that, then how, and, and that's in this state of consciousness with this level of being after all these years of work, what was our level of being like before when we were totally immersed in the hypnotism of life, totally run, and completely run by our machinery. That is our past. That memory is our past. Maurice Nicole said, we remember 100 millionth part of all that happened. I love that because it's so bold. 100 millionth? I can't even think that big. I mean, I can't. I don't even know what 100 millionth looks like. Show me that in ping pong balls. What does 100 million marbles look like? What, what, how about 100 million peas? Give me something to deal with here something that I can wrap my brain around. I don't really have anything, so a hundred millionth part. What that tells me is it's staggering what I don't remember. Now, go back to what I said about everything that's going on in this room right now and how we are not directly experiencing it. All of the things that we're missing, all of the sensations, three trillion cells in your body, each one of them is vibrating. Each one of them is having a sensation. How many of them are you aware of? <laughs> That's funny, isn't it? It's like, it's, it, just, it just evokes a... <laughs> it's so absurd. See, that's when the truth hits reality. When our reality hits real reality, there's this collision and we have to laugh because of the huge contradiction. We call ourselves aware, yet there are three, mil three trillion cells in our body that are, every single one of them, vibrating. Every single one of them moving. Every single one of them having a sensation. How many of them are you aware of? Well, uh, four trillion, let me see, three trillion, um, I think, let me count them. Uh, see, it's absurd. It's just absurd. 
We remember 100 millionth part of all that happened. I doubt if we ever remember anything as it actually was. Our memory depends on our subjective powers of reception, he said. What happened yesterday inside you and in the external world? How much of that do you think you really remember? 100 million. There you go. That's about how much. How much do I think? I'll take Nicole's word for it on this and say, that's a, that's a good figure, 100 millionth part. Let's say maybe 100 millionth part of it. And that's generous. I don't remember any of it. Okay, great. What about last week? How about last year? How about this date last year? How much of that do you remember? Zero. That's our memory. What does our memory really consist of? Little liars, like gangs of New York. Little liars roaming around, lying about everything. You don't have a memory of this time last year? The little liars will make one up for you. And they'll present it to you with everything. Film coverage, news at 11, you know, the whole thing. Audio, video, the whole display. And we need so little to go on. Oh, yeah, you remember last year. Don't you remember last year? It was a, it was a Friday. Yeah, you remember that. that was, and, and that was the day that Steve did this and, and Lori did that. And Oh, yeah, I'm starting to remember now. What that means is the little liars are piecing things together for you. You don't have a clue, but it's okay because we believe the little liars. We trust our memory as if it were real, as if it were accurate, as if it were complete, as if it were whole, as if we could really remember 100% of everything that happened actually the way it really did happen without any associations, without any reactions, as if we were 100% completely, absolutely conscious for every instant of it, as if we were objective. Be afraid. Be very afraid. The little liars are at work in everything. They are our memory. Our memory is made up of just little liars, little lying eyes. Tedious arguments over what happened because what memory we have connects things in its own subjective way. This is what life is. Tedious arguments over what happened. But I am learning that when someone starts to tell me what I said, I know that it's an argument. If I didn't ask them, well, what did I say? If I ask them, what did I say? I'm starting an argument. If they tell me what I said, they're starting an argument. And I have a choice. I can enter into that argument or not. And I only have a choice if I'm conscious at the moment when someone asks me the question or I hear my mouth asking the question. So some I, some arguing I, some self-righteous I is saying, well, what did I say? Okay, you got the tone. Well, what did I say? It's like that short, staccato, snippy, well, what self-righteous, challenging, superior attitude. Well, what did I say? Did you hear me right? It's all you. I never make a mistake. I'm always right. You're always wrong. It's that. That's an argument. Now, it's not an argument that's about to start. It's an argument that is already full-blown. In your mind, in the courtroom of your mind, you've already won the case. You're just dangling the noose, waiting to pull the lever so the floor will drop out from under this person and they'll come to that <coughs> quick stop. And then you will be vindicated. Justice will be satisfied. <laughs> this is what we live like. It is wise to see your life in this moment. But instead, we see our lives through this memory, this thing that we call memory which is really just this collection of little liars inside of us that fabricate things on the fly. Have you ever met a really good liar? Every once in a while, there'll be one of these shows on television. They'll pick up this suspect for a crime and they bring him in for an interview. <laughs> and you know, it's like no matter what the interviewer asks, this guy's got an answer. 
And no matter how many contradictions, he's always got another answer. He can lie on the fly. And there's something about a good liar because a good liar has to really be practiced. A good liar has to really be able to move. A good liar can't be encumbered by anything that looks like conscience, real conscience of any kind. So a good liar has to be really unencumbered. Most of us are not that good. Most of us have some connection with some kind of conscience that we really would have to buffer. We'd have to put up some buffers in order to keep lying. Most of us, we come to an area where we would get caught and we'd admit, okay, I don't remember how that went. Because what liars have to do is they have to keep on weaving. Never stop weaving. If you can keep bobbing and weaving, they'll never be able to tack you down. They'll never be able to get you in anything. They'll never be able to catch you because you never stop moving. And so you just keep spinning, 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 lie after lie after lie, until it gets so confusing that the people just say, this is ridiculous, this is a waste of time. Because the only way to fix that snarl is with a pair of scissors. You just cut that snarl away, throw, a new, throw, that, throw that line away, and start with a new line. So is it wise to see your life through this memory? We remember what he did, but not what we did. That's the amazing thing. You can remember exactly what he did, exactly what she did. But when it comes to what you did, well, you kind of have to imagine that. You know it was, like, not bad. You Maybe it was a little confused, or maybe you were a little angry, or maybe you were a little hurt. But that's understandable. But what he did or what she did, you remember that exactly. You know exactly what that was. And you're willing to go to court on that. You're willing to go to the wall on that one. When it comes to what you did, well, you're not really that sure, but you know it wasn't so bad. And the reason that we really can't trust this memory is because our memories are portable, private liars. They work for us. They don't work for other people. They work for us. They're about making us look good. They're not about making other people look good. They're about making us right, not about making other people right. They're about remembering what they did in a negative way, not remembering what we did in any way. To remember yourself is not to remember your past. We must forget. We must overcome our past. So a lot of people, this is not a good idea. And think about it. That's like saying, you must give away all your money. If you want to inherit eternal life, give me all your money. You don't really trust that, do you? You should see your faces. <laughs> you don't really trust that. And the reason you don't really trust that is because there's no way you're going to give away all your money. Because you are your money. You're so identified and attached to your money that the thought of losing it, you, you may as well not have a life because you wouldn't have a life. How would you get all that money again? You know what it took to get it. And times are harder now. Things aren't as good now. You really got to hang on to it now. You really got to protect it now. You really got to clench your fist on it now. You really got to white knuckle it now, don't you? Think about it. Tell the truth about it. Be genuine about it. Be sincere about it. Stop listening to the little liars. Stop listening to their lies. What they tell us of our past isn't something upon which to base our present moment. Yet, we know that the present moment rests on the past. So our present moment rests on a lie. Not just one lie, but millions of lies, like little grains of sand. And they're all laid down, but they're like sand. And that's what we're standing on. And so if our present seems shifty and unsure, if it feels like we're not standing on a rock, if it feels like we're not on something solid, there's a reason for that is because our past is only our memory of it, and our memory is so fragmented. Little liars have no real, unchallengeable memory. There is a real memory, but it's accessible only through higher levels of consciousness, levels of consciousness that we only touch from time to time, and it's only for a flash. And we're there for such a short time that it's difficult to take in all that there is there. And it conflicts so much with all that we live in all the time that it seems unreal to us. 
your states of consciousness where you have touched a higher order of love and faith seem unreal to you the rest of the time. You can remember them and you can long for them, but you can't live in them, but you yearn for them. That's why you're here, because you yearn for them, because you want to get back there. You want to get up there to what you've tasted. Tasted, you've seen that it's good, and you want to return to it, and you want to live there. You want it to be more of your experience. You felt more real. You felt more open. You felt more flexible. You felt more alive, and you want more of that. But you keep sinking back down into this. This is our state. This is our condition. This is our dilemma. Everything we saw, did, felt, thought, and said is recorded in centers and their parts there in that real memory. But the problem is it's only accessible when we're in those higher states. We don't spend enough time in those higher states to access much of it. Mercifully, all of that in real memory is concealed from us, in part by buffers. Why do I say that? Well, what would it be like if you could remember everything as it actually was in your past? Well, let me tell you what it'd be like. Feats don't fail me now. I'm out of here. We would go insane. It would conflict. It would smash. It would be like the biggest collision that you can imagine. The reality smashing into our psychic reality. In other words, the, the, the whole group of little liars. It would be atomic. That's what it would be like. It would be atomic. It would smash so hard. We'd go mad. Real interior memory is opened at death. Now, you know, the people say they were dying. They saw their whole life flash before them in an instant. The whole thing. And then they didn't die. And they're different. Really different. They don't really talk that much. They don't really have much to say. But they know they've got a lot of things to do. A lot of things to clean up. A lot of changes to make. Because they saw what their life was really like. Not what they had been pretending it was like. Not what the little liars had told them. It's a sobering experience. It's called in the Bible the Book of Life. The books were opened in a book of life with everything that you had done, and it was all there. It's all recorded somewhere. Well, where is that? Well, it's not recorded outside of you. It's recorded at a higher place in you, a place that you cannot visit at will because you don't know how, because you are held in this prison down here with false memories, believing little liars, investing in everything that they say and tell us as if it were re what really happened. We don't have just one memory. We have first three memories. We have the memory of the intellectual center, the memory of the emotional center, and the memory of the instinctive moving center. Then we have how many after that? Well, we have nine, because the intellectual center has an intellectual center, an emotional center, an instinctive moving center, and the emotional as well. So that's three in each center, three centers, that's nine, right? Then you divide it again. Each of those centers has three centers, so you end up with three plus nine plus 27. So you have 20, 3 plus 9 plus 27 memories according to divisions of centers. That is before we divide the centers into two. Divide the intellectual center into positive and negative. Divide the emotional into positive and negative. Divide the instinctive moving into positive and negative. A little quick math will show you that's another 24. So we've got too many memories. Each center has its own memory, and each center has a different quality of memory. Makes sense, doesn't it? The lower centers... The more mechanical centers are going to have a more mechanical memory. It's not going to be a high quality. The moving center, for example, has muscle memory. Swimming, walking, riding a bike, playing a musical instrument, things like that. How does the moving center remember those things? Well, if I throw you in the pool, 
You start swimming. There's no great effort involved. Oh, how do I swim? Oh, what should I do? I don't know what to do. Doesn't happen, does it? Your muscle memory just kicks right in. If you play the guitar, you pick up a guitar and you hadn't played in 10 years. You look and your hand is making shapes of chords. You think, oh, how does it know how to do that? Muscle memory. It's registered down there in the instinctive moving center. You learned that. So then there's the intellectual center, which remembers with effort. Let's say some time in your life, later in life, you learned a foreign language, a second language, but you don't speak it a lot. You can remember the foreign language with intellectual effort. You went to school and you learned nursing or you learned engineering or you learned mathematical formulas, scientific formulas, and you don't use them a lot, but you can remember them if you make some intellectual effort. So to remember in the intellectual center takes more effort than it does to remember in the moving instinctive center. So you get around people who are speaking the language that you learned, it starts to come back to you with some effort. And the next thing you know, you're remembering. The emotional center is not under our control. Some of our muscle memory is under our control. Some of our moving center is under control. Some of our intellectual center is under control. The emotional center is not under our control at all. If you think the emotional center is un under your control, then when you're feeling unhappy, then I say, okay, now feel happy. Well, you can't. You can't feel happy when you're unhappy because the emotional center is not under your control. Now, this work is about getting the emotional center under control. <gasps> oh, no! How are we going to do that? There's a specific way. That's what this work is about. It's about learning how to get the emotional center under control. The memory of the emotional center that we have is in the negative part, and it's very difficult to change due to the tangle of unpleasant memories that are locked up there. See, what we have in the emotional center is negative emotions. And it's hard to change those because they are wired to so many different things, so many associations, so many unpleasant things, that it's almost impossible to change any of them. You have to know how to do it. You can't just walk in and say, well, I want to change that. That's like walking into the Ferrari dealership and saying, well, I want all these cars in all the colors. Well, fine, that'll be $6,842.37, and we add the tax, then we add this, and we add that in the license, and would you like to give us a cashier's check for that, or you can't put it on a credit card, but how are you going to pay for that? Well, I don't, how about if I just write you a check? Fine, you write the check, and we'll check with your bank, and as soon as the check clears, you can have all the cars. You're not going home with a Ferrari, let me tell you that. And that's how it is with the emotional center. We can go in and say, I want, it, I want all that but you can't pay for it. And you have to pay for everything in this life. Because we believe the little liars, we take their lies as real, as facts, as the truth. We take what they say as our past. When we think something is real, we can't change it. We can only change things that we start to doubt their reality. So that can't be the answer. What then is the answer? Begin to suspect the little liars of telling half-truths, distorted facts, having warped memories, when you do that, change becomes possible. The other day, Connie and I were in the kitchen, and she said something. And I said, well, no, I think it, and it, was, it was different. She said, no, you said this. And I said, okay, I could be wrong. And I walked away feeling like free, you know, like lighter. It was like, oh, look, I let go of something. I was so excited, I just, I just let go of it. I didn't have to be right. I didn't have to insist that my memory was the right memory. I said, well, I could be wrong. And it was so freeing, so refreshing. It was like getting rid of a 10-pound tumor, you know, hanging from your cheek 
or hanging from your hand or something. You know, it's like just having it removed. Like, oh, you suddenly feel lighter. Ten-pound tumor gone. Oh, I can smile now. The ten-pound tumor is off my cheek. Well, I can smile on one side. There's a ten-pound tumor on the other side pulling it down now. But, but I'm halfway there. Do you understand what I'm saying? I know these are kind of gross examples, but sometimes we need a shock. Get us to see what we're living in. Anyhow, it was a great experience for me. So we may separate from them. As we discard little liars' past, we step into the present moment, free to not be like we were told that we were. So the little liars tell us how we are because of our past. This is how you've always been. This is who you are. This is what you do. This is what you say. This is what you believe. This is what you think. This is what you did. This is how you were born. This is who your parents were. This is this, is, this, is, this, is, this. They got all this stuff. And you don't know if any of it's true, but you believe all of it because you believe little liars. But you start to doubt the little liars and you say, well, I'm, maybe that did happen. Maybe it didn't happen. Maybe you're right. I don't know. And it doesn't matter whether you're right or wrong. All that matters is that you're free. Do you see? All that matters is that you walk away lighter. You have cut something off of you that didn't belong there. And you are now lighter because of it. You are now freer because of it. You have free motion, free movement. You have a freeness of breath. I'm telling you from experience, this is what happened to me in the kitchen the other day. When I said, well, I don't know, maybe you're right. I could be wrong. My memory's not perfect. Now, some people just jump right on that and go, well, that's right, my memory is. Fine, you can have that. You may as well take on a load of bricks, as far as I'm concerned. And so when I do that, well, that's right, I remember exactly. I'm just taking on a load of bricks. I'm just weighing myself down with that insanity. Let it go, people, let it go. It's better to forget your past. It's better to let it go. Be free, you have a choice. You can give me all your money and be free. Or you can stay in prison. The prison built out of those bricks. Because every time you take on a load of bricks, yes, I remember it this way. I, this is how it is. This is how it is. This is how it is. You're just building yourself into this brick prison made up of all these little lies. Incidentally, I don't want your money. As we begin to let go of this, energy that used to go into defending the little liar's version of ourselves can go toward a new view, a new person, a new man, a new you, a different version of yourself, not based on all the lies that you took as your past. Why not just let your past go and be here in this moment now and take this moment fresh, clean, new, as fresh, as clean, as new as you know how to take it. Doubt all the little liars when they come singing their songs to you, when they come telling their stories to you. Doubt them, that's all. Just begin to doubt them. Say, well, it's possible I don't remember. It's possible, just try it and see if it doesn't make you feel more open, taller, lighter, freer. See if it doesn't expand your lungs. See if it doesn't expand your mind and your heart. Little liars' chains are powerful. If it were some other way, we'd all be free now, but we're not because their chains are very powerful. They're very strong. They're big. But the air from higher influences will begin to rust them, eventually freeing us if we obey higher influences. Oxidation will occur as you get some air in from higher influences. How do you get the higher influences? Look, just doubt the little liars. You will automatically raise your consciousness. So, well, I don't know, I could be wrong. You will automatically go up in consciousness. Why? Well, because you let go of the bricks. It's just like swimming. You take some weights out of your weight belt and you go up because that's what's natural for you. You get rid of the weights and you will start to go up. Now, fortunately, we can't go up too fast because we get the bends. 
We're on short chains in ourselves. We're hardly able to reach higher states of consciousness, levels of being, knowledge, understanding, new levels of mercy. Because we keep ourselves so bound up with these little lies from the past. This happened, that happened, they owe us. This one did that to me, this one did this to me. And we're just locked up, tight, and we can't move, let alone reach up. With the help of the higher, we struggle to tip the scales so that unforgiving personality becomes passive and merciful essence becomes active. When I say, I don't know, maybe, maybe that's the way it happened, I don't know, my memory is certainly not perfect, and I let that go, really let that go, do you see that you've forgiven the past? You're not hanging on to it, you've forgiven it, you've let it go. You're free from it. Merciful essence has just been made a little more active, and unforgiving personality has been made a little more passive. And that's all we have to do, just a little bit at a time. A little now, a little now, a little now, a little now. It's doable. We need to work memory to help us stop believing what the little liars tell us. They satisfy us with imaginary I keeping us asleep. They're constantly feeding us this line about the past that keeps our imaginary I coalesced, solidified, together. But when we start to doubt that, it all starts to fall apart. It all starts to become more watery, less solid. It's never our fault, according to the little liars. Our level of being doesn't attract our life when we have no work memory gained through self-observation. If you don't have any work memory gained through self-observation, your level of being doesn't attract your life. But if you have some work memory gained through self-observation, you start to think, oh, it looks like my level of being does attract my life. This is huge. Don't expect to get this all at once. To get my level of being attracts my life, you'd have to be conscious. You'd have to wake up to get that. And that's not going to happen anytime soon. You may get flashes of it. Oh, my level of being attracts my life. <laughs> that's enough of that. This, that can't be true. That can't be true. Surely your level of being had something to do with melding together with my level of being and some of your level of being got on my life. We have all these lies. Anything, anything anything at all to stop the truth from getting through. Your level of being attracts your life. There's no one to blame. It's all you. It can't be all me, but it is. No, you're wrong. Okay, I probably am. Then go back to your life. What are you doing here? Why are you listening to me? Well, I just wanted to make sure that you didn't go too far off. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. I can't tell you how appreciative I am. Little liars work with pride and vanity to edit memories in a prejudicial way. But the formation of work memory through observing I lifts our memory to a higher level. It lifts us to a higher level. When we get to that higher level, there's a higher memory, a more accurate memory. Because you see, everything, everything that has ever happened, everything has been recorded in your centers. Everything is there. There's not one thing that you ever heard, that you ever saw, that you ever didn't see. And we know this from hypnotism. You put somebody under hypnosis and they can remember things that they can't remember. Why? Because it was laid down in the so-called unconscious part of the mind, which is really the conscious part of the mind. And what we call the conscious part of the mind is really the unconscious part of the mind because it's not conscious of the rest of the, of the larger part of the mind that is conscious. We live in a lie when our real mind is waiting for us with all knowledge, with all memory. But we live in this prison instead. Set yourself free. You can't set yourself free. But the truth can make you free. And you can choose the truth. And how you choose the truth is to stop believing the little liars 
You don't need anything else. Just stop taking their word for everything. Just begin by doubting. I don't know. Maybe you're right. Maybe, maybe it did happen that way. I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't really trust my memory that much. Just that in and of itself begins to set you free. And freedom is a beautiful thing. Once you get some, you're going to want more. And once you get more, it leads to more. The linchpin of this work is the practical application of the ideas shared in the podcasts. If you'll go to solidrockvista.com to the thoughts page, I've written a number of articles that will help you to practice the principles that we're sharing with you in the podcasts.